Let's bow forward to prayer. Heavenly Father, now as we come to open your word, we are so grateful for the fact that you have spoken to us, Lord, that you have communicated who you are, that you have communicated who you desire us to be, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be responsive to that. We pray that you would help us to, to understand um, the journey that's before us, to, to practice wisdom, uh, to practice and express love. God, we pray that you would just move uh, to help us to find that balance uh, in our lives as we deal with uh, people that are uh, sometimes difficult to deal with. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. So we continue today moving through our You Asked For It series, topics, issues, passages that you've asked uh, me to address. And the one today is how do we deal with toxic people? Now, I'll admit when I first uh, read that question, first read that topic, I, I was wondering exactly where the, the questioner, and I don't even know who it was, but I was wondering who the questioner or where they were going with the question, what they were trying to address, because the phrase toxic people has become a, a, a phrase that you, you hear everywhere nowadays. Okay, If someone disagrees with you, they, they're sometimes labeled as a toxic person just because they don't agree with you. And so I, I, I want to start out by saying that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dealing with people that are just disagreeable or people that you disagree with, or people that you have a difference of opinion with. That's not how I would define toxic people. That's not what I believe is, is the best understanding of it. A toxic person, as, as I understand it, as I'll be addressing today, is somebody who is abusive, unsupportive, or unhealthy to you emotionally. That is, they have a continued real impact on your life, on your mindset, on your perspective, because of how they interact with you and how they... Um, how, how they deal with reality themselves. They are uh, people who are perhaps a controller. That, that is the, the person who's, who's there to just kind of manipulate you. And they're, they're constantly trying to control everything you do. They're, they want to be in charge, not just of their life, but of yours and everyone else's too. Uh, perhaps they're an abuser, uh, somebody who emotionally or physically uh, abuses people, causes Real harm through through anger, through viciousness, through cruelty, and how they speak or how they act. And, and let me just say before I move on that if you're in a physically abusive relationship, get help. Get out of that environment. Don't stay there. You're not going to change that person. You need to find um, uh, assistance in dealing with that. You need to, to move away from that because repeatedly we see that, that those types of people do, simply do not change. The bully. Bullies are uh, who I would consider toxic people. These are people who, who either through subtlety or through outright uh, offensive expressions, they, they seek to, to move things in their direction. The addict. This is a person who is addicted to a substance or to a negative pattern of behavior that severely has affected their well-being as a person and the well-being of those who are there connected to them. The person who's always negative, I mean always negative, not somebody who's generally a, a pessimist, but somebody who is constantly expressing the negative uh, side of things. They're, you know, you, you walk out and say, well, what a beautiful day. And they're, they're yeah, but it's probably going to start raining anytime now. Okay, <laughs> that, that sort of person. Um, um, the gossiper, 
You know, the person who is is constantly talking uh, about someone else, constantly talking about people and so forth, and and sometimes they do it with a, a pleasant smile and and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, an expression that that comes across as if they're trying to be helpful or spiritual or pious, but they're really sharing untruths or sometimes truths with some innuendo uh, added in uh, about uh, people, exaggeration or, or so forth. These are all examples of toxic people, but they're not the only examples. Those are generally pretty easy to recognize and identify because they come across as negative or they come across as expressing something pretty uh, clearly in what they are. But there are other types of people who are toxic, um, and they can come across, for the most part, in how you deal with them in a very positive light. They come across as someone who is perhaps spiritual, someone who is perhaps godly, somebody who is a believer, somebody who is is walking the same way but uh, as you are. But what you come to discover is that everything they express is really about themselves. Uh, everything that every interaction that occurs is about who they are. Every uh, journey that's taken is how it is driven by their purposes and by their needs and by their desires. Um, these people are generally labeled or identified as narcissists. Um, and because they want people to look at them in a positive light, they generally come across in a very positive way. But you, you, you know you're dealing with a narcissist when if your opinion changes or if your position changes toward them, suddenly they lose that facade of niceness. They lose that facade of, of being a positive person and they begin to attack or they begin to find fault or they begin to, to make excuses or those sorts of things. Okay, And, and let me just say as well that in, in my experience, ministering, serving over... 30 years or so uh, uh, in different staff positions and different ministry opportunities that I've come across a, a lot of people that um, perhaps are narcissists or have some other perspective that are constantly seeing everybody as toxic. In other words, that person is toxic and that person is toxic. And, and, and what, they're, what they're, they're constantly running into is, quote, these other toxic people. And what they fail to recognize is that they're the actual ones who are toxic. And, and let me just challenge you today that if you are in a constant stream of toxic relationships, okay, if you constantly find yourself, you know, labeling people or dealing with people and, and calling them toxic, you might want to consider the possibility that you are, in fact, the one who's toxic. And if that's the case, go to the Lord. Ask for uh, help. Ask for assistance in, in finding that transformation, that help. But we're not dealing with that today. Today we're dealing with how do we relate to people who are toxic? How do, how do we deal with people who who are fit into one of these categories or, or perhaps other categories that cause us damage, that cause us difficulties? And we want to do so from a biblical standpoint. That is our drive. That is our purpose. We, we don't want to uh, simply take how society or culture or psychology or whatever suggests that there might be some good ideas there, and I'm not discounting those, but our method, our approach to dealing with people must always be driven by Scripture and what it teaches. And what we find in Scripture in dealing with 
the idea of, of the toxic individual is, is really a, a call, a challenge to wisdom. And finding the balance between wisdom and love. How do we deal with people in a way that's wise, in a way that keeps us from being damaged, in a way that keeps us from losing our, our emotional health or sometimes our physical health, but also express the love of God that God has called us to? How do we, how do we find that balance? Perhaps the, the best picture, I would say, of a toxic individual in Scripture is King Saul in the Old Testament. Okay? He was an individual who saw the whole world through the lens of how it affected him. Uh, when you see him take some of the steps that he takes, declaring holy war or carrying out a sacrifice, things that were spiritual, things that were good, things that, that seemed to be right uh, on the surface, but Samuel corrects him, he, he does what? He starts placing blame elsewhere. He starts saying, this was really affecting me in a negative way, so I had to do this step in the wrong direction. I had to go this way. He, he makes these excuses. And, and you see how David interacts with him. You see David interacting with a, a mixture of love and compassion where he refuses to kill him when he had the chance, where he plays music for him to soothe his, his, his anger and, and those sorts of things. But you also see what David practicing wisdom in avoiding him. Okay, Jonathan, you say these words to Saul, and if he responds a certain way, I know it's not a good time for me to come in, and I'll just leave. You, you see that, that mixture uh, of that. Um, and I want us to, to, to maintain or to, to keep in mind that kind of idea as we deal with the issue of toxic individuals, looking at the passages this morning, finding that balance between wisdom and love. For that, I want to look primarily in the Pauline epistles, looking at what Paul has to say uh, about some of these situations. Turn with me, if you will, first of all, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you have... Paul here giving instruction to Timothy about how to deal with certain individuals in the church, how to respond to these individuals that are not uh, communicating uh, godliness in terms of how they live or, or how they express. And, and he starts with um, the phrase, uh, will come in the last days. And we're going to address this topic of last days uh, in a couple weeks on the 26th, and are we living in them and, and those sorts of things. But I wanted to, to just kind of highlight here at the start today that when the New Testament writers use last days, they don't always have in mind just those moments before Christ's return. Okay? That for the New Testament writers, last days began when Christ ascended and will conclude when Christ returns. All of that time period, however long that ends up being, are the last days quite often for the New Testament writers. And we know that because quite often they say we are now living in the last days, and that was 2,000 years ago. Okay, So we know that, that they had a much broader definition than sometimes we want to give that particular phrase. This is one of those cases because Paul is trying to give advice to Timothy about how he is to operate right then, right at that moment in interaction with these people and how they're living in these last days. And so he says, but now this, but know this, Hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Okay, that's a list of toxic people. That's a list. And you see, again, both the negative, the slanderers and so forth, the, the brutal, all of those sorts of things, traitors, but you also see some acknowledgement of some positive there when he says what? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, people who have the appearance, a positive appearance, have a, have a quote, godly appearance in, in what they do, but there's no real depth there. There's nothing in the heart there. They are, in fact, still toxic in their expression. Now, how does t Paul finish what he expects us to do in response to these people? How does Paul advise Timothy at this moment? In, in this particular exchange, what does he say to Timothy to do? The last words of, of, of verse uh, 5 there are what? Avoid these people. Avoid these people. Don't interact with them. Don't let them be a regular part of your life and your existence. They will destroy you is what Paul is getting at here. Okay? Um, psychologists, so forth, they tell us that you become like the five people you spend the most time with. Okay? That you, your mindset, your expressions, your thought, they are they're shaped by those five people that you're around most. Okay? Whether or not that's an accurate assessment or precise or whatever, not my point. My point is that those that we're in relationship with, those that we walk with on a regular basis are going to impact us. They're absolutely going to. There, there's no way around that. Every relationship you have changes who you are. And so we need to be very careful that if we're walking with, if we're relating to, if we're living with, if we're, if we're friendly with these toxic people, that we don't eventually also become toxic individuals ourselves that we don't take on their mannerisms, their, their mindset, their perspective, their expressions. Paul's advice here to Timothy is, is, to, to, um, is, is to avoid them. Don't let them be a part of your life. But that's not the only thing Paul has to say about such individuals. It's not the only expression Paul gives us. In the book of Colossians, probably written... Um, before his his letter to Timothy here, but nonetheless, it, it's it's written kind of in the same context. Colossians was not too far from Ephesus, which is where Timothy was serving when he received the letter, and, and so uh, it has a lot of the same feel. Paul has a different take, a, a different approach, and and this approach, uh, I believe, is kind of the the underlying first expression. That is, before you get to the point to where you avoid them it's important that you yourself be the right person first. It's important that you yourself are expressing, communicating, relaying the right mentality first. Before you can exercise, let me put it this way, before you can exercise the wisdom of saying, they're not going to be part of my life anymore, you have to first express the Christian attitudes and mindsets that help you to make the right decision that help you to practice wisdom correctly. Okay, How do we know when to minister 
and when to avoid? How do we know when to um, to engage with that person and address their situation like, like James calls us to, to, to tell them of their wrong, to tell them of their sin? And, and how do we know when to say, I'm handing you over to Satan, as Paul does in Corinthians? How do we find that balance? Well, I believe the balance is found first and foremost in who we are in how we understand our ministry for Christ. And that's described for us in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, you have a, you have a passage there that, that's very similar to uh, the putting on the armor of God in Ephesians. Okay? It doesn't deal with things from an armor perspective, but it deals with things from a perspective of, of putting on clothing. It uses that metaphor. And this seems to be one of Paul's favorite metaphors, uh, for how we function as believers, that, that we put on certain things, we, we dress ourselves in certain ways. And I think the reason he used that metaphor so often is because, number one, it's something that we all do. Okay, We, we all know what it means to dress ourselves a certain way. Okay, if you're, if you're going to a certain activity, you're going to dress a certain way. If you're going to a different type of activity, you're going to dress a different way. You dress what? According to the activity that you want to participate in. Okay. If I get an invitation to go play volleyball at, at ETBU, uh, you know, I'm not going to go dress like this. Okay. It, just, it just won't work. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to get sand in places. I don't want to get sand and all those sorts of things. Shoes are bad for jumping and all those sorts of things. Okay. So clothing is a good metaphor because it helps us to understand that what we're doing is we are, we are preparing ourselves for an activity. We're preparing ourselves for a certain uh, participation in uh, one aspect of life. And so that's what Paul uses here uh, in this picture. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on or dress yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has agreements against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love or dress yourself in love, which is perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one with one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So Paul here starts with your demeanor, your activity, your outlook, your mindset in dealing with others. As we minister to others, as we seek to live Christian lives in a world where people are sometimes toxic, where people don't want the best for us, where people are, are, are capable of tearing us down, we have to first prepare ourselves to have the right mindset and outlook so that we can then choose wisely between that moment to where we, we love on them and we minister to them and we reach out to them and the moment when we say, I realize that where you're at and what you're dealing with is beyond my capacity. We need to understand that there are times where we turn people over. 
as you as Paul says elsewhere. You need to understand that it's seldomly the case where what you do and how you interact is going to change a toxic person. It's something that has to come from the work of the Holy Spirit. Something that has to be driven by what God does in their lives. And so we can always do what? Regardless of if they're, quote, actively part of our lives or not, we can always do what? We can always pray for them. We can always take them to the throne of God. We can always trust that our awesome God, who is so great and so magnificent and so forgiving and so loving and so all of that, the one who created us, is fully capable of transforming that person. And we can place them constantly, consistently in God's hands. That's something we can do regardless of what our immediate disposition or our immediate proximity to them is in how we live and what we do. But what do these phrases mean? What, what is it that Paul's asking us to, to do? What is, what is the fashion of our soul, uh, to put it as, as one commentator does? How does he want us to dress? The first thing he tells us to put on is compassion. Compassion is a deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. And I, I, I'm convinced that one of the biggest things we've lost over the last couple decades in Christianity is compassion. We've lost it. We've become a people who are about preserving our rights and preserving our perspective and preserving our way of life and preserving our uh, mindsets and expressions on all these sorts of things. And we've lost the ability to look at somebody else who may differ from us, who may view things different than us, and feel compassion for them and their plight and their situation. And so I think Paul understands that that's kind of who we are. That's who people are. We, 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 we develop so easily this mindset that i, I got to protect me. And so I think that's why he starts here with this other-centered mindset. See them for where they're at and what they're going through. Make it our purpose to know what the other person needs and how the other person hurts. To, 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 to get into their lives in some way, to, to try and understand them, not as ammunition, but in order to protect them, to help them, to minister to them, to try and see the world through their eyes. The second thing he says is, is put on kindness. What do, we, what do we mean by that? When you say be kind, okay, I, I think, again, it's a term that's become kind of softened in our culture. We, we mean something along the lines of just be nice, you know, be a deer. Okay? That, that, that's kind of the, the mindset we have for, for being kind. But I, I think Paul has something much deeper in mind here. I think Paul has, has, a, has a, a mindset of, of investment. Okay? Um, a mindset of, of cost even sacrifice in how we act. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 and following, I think Paul, uh, Jesus here uh, expresses this, especially as we get down into verse 35. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, 
do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Why? Because He, that is God, is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So Jesus there puts kindness in the context of, of mercy. Puts kindness in as a, as a parallel expression to, to sacrificial giving on behalf of someone else. It, it's more than just being nice. It, it is a call, it's a challenge to, to sacrificial giving. Third, Put on humility, Paul says. Dress yourself in humility. Not, Don't think too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself. It's not that. It's really thinking about others first. Pride is one of those situations, one of those, those things that can so easily take hold of us. It, it can take hold of us um, immediately after a moment of immense humility. You know, you express some some humility towards somebody. You, you you sacrifice for them, or you do something kind for them, as we've just described. And, and in that moment, it's easy for pride to to what to sneak in and say, "Wow, look, didn't I do good? Didn't I just do what I'm supposed to do?" It, it can also take hold when we're being wronged. Okay, when somebody is mistreating us, someone is toxic around us. As we as we reflect upon what they're doing with the, I might not be great, but at least I'm not like that. You know, at least I'm not like them. And, and that's what that is giving uh, giving soil to pride to begin to grow. Okay. We have to keep our humility from slipping off. We have to keep it from from falling by the wayside. It has to be something that we are constantly mindful of. And I think one of the, the biggest ways we can do that is through accountability. That is having somebody we trust who's there to, to kind of check us on this. Because a lot of times pride takes hold and we don't even know it. Someone put it this way, pride is like bad breath. Everyone knows you have it except you. Okay? And so we need to be willing to, to listen to people. We need to have people who are there who will hold us accountable to that. Next, Paul says we need to put on gentleness. And this goes right along with compassion, with kindness, with humility. It, 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 you notice that Paul is, is kind of building on each subject. It's not as if these are separate entities. It's not this is separate elements that we do separately. It's all connected. If you express, if you communicate compassion, if you begin to uh, take part in kindness and humility, then gentleness is going to be an offshoot of that as well. But this is important because we are not as strong as we think we are. And not only are we not as strong as we personally think we are, people are not as strong as we think they are. A lot of has been made of, of um, what has uh, derogatorily been expressed as snowflakes, people who are snowflakes in our culture. That is, they, they fall apart, they wilt, they, they melt when the least amount of difficulty comes up. And I know a lot of people in my generation or right around my generation and so forth, you know, that's not how I was raised, you know, 
you know, we were we were told rub some dirt on it or get over it or those sorts of things, you know, and I can't believe that they're going through this. And, and yes, there has been a lot of, I don't know, uh, not acknowledging the need to not be easily offended in a lot of how people have been raised lately. Okay, I, I understand that. But let me just say, my generation, previous generations, we were no more solid or no more incapably and hurt than the previous gen the generation we see today. We used to say sticks and stones break our bones. Words will never hurt me. That was a lie. It's a lie. Words hurt. Words have always hurt. And, and how we respond and, and how we deal with that, we may put up a good brave facade and we may say, oh, that doesn't bother me. But we know it does. And we carry those words with us. And we need to be mindful as we're dealing with people, as we're interacting with people, that they're just as fragile as we are. And we need to express, we need to communicate gentleness. Paul in Galatians 6 puts it another way. He says, brothers, sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. But watch yourself or you may be tempted. Okay. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is an expression. It's something that can really only be communicated when you are secure in who you are. And the only way you can ever be secure in who you are is when the Spirit is working through you. Then Paul moves to patience. And I think when he says, clothe yourself in patience or, or put on patience here, I think what he's getting at here is the continuous nature of all of this. Because I think all of us have moments of where we are very capable of being compassionate and kind and humble and gentle. But we also get to those moments when what? I've had enough. Okay. It's time to stop or, or whatever. It's time to cut that off. And, and we need patience from God to be able to see beyond our own frustration, beyond our own uh, um, anger, our, our own situation, our own circumstance. We need that patience to, to be able to, to take hold so that we can deal with people who try them, okay? who try our patience. We, we need to make allowance, Paul says, for, for other people's faults. We need to cut them some slack, to put it in a more modern way of expressing it. Why? Because we all got them. We all got idiosyncrasies. We all got issues. We all got things that annoy other people. Okay. And so we need to realize that we what we treat others as we would have them treat us. We make allowances. How do we find that patience? Well, I think Paul gives us three steps in the, the next three things he tells us close our, ourselves in and how to develop that patience, how to continually do these things of kindness and humility and gentleness and, and uh, compassion. First of all, he says, put on forgiveness. Dress yourself in forgiveness. Okay. There was a, a movie that came out in the 70s, and it had a, a key line that, that a lot of people really bought into. and it, it basically said, love means never having to say you're sorry. I don't know if you saw that movie or not. Um, it was a pretty big movie at the time, 
I didn't see how I was just a kid. And it was the line. Love means never having to say you're sorry. That is the biggest bunch of stuff <laughs> that's ever been uttered. That's not what love is. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is acknowledging that a wrong has been taken, that a wrong that has happened, that you've been hurt, that you've been injured, or that you've hurt or injured someone else. And it's saying, I'm going to refuse to enact vengeance on that. I'm going to, I'm going to refuse to, to, uh, to, in some ways, hold the sinner uh, accountable for that in and of myself. Now, there's still consequences for actions. And those consequences often remain, even after forgiveness has been received. I think that we sometimes miss that, that, that our consequences, our actions do have consequences that carry on. But what forgiveness is is saying, I'm not going to try to get back to you. I'm not going to hate you for it. I'm not going to, to define you just through that set of choices. I'm going to look beyond that as well. Yes, there might be consequences for our relationship. Our relationship might be over. I might not be able to function in connection with you. I might not be able to dwell next to you, but I'm not going to, to badmouth you to others. I'm not going to, to try and get you back for what you've done. I'm going to move on. And it's a conscious decision that we make that helps us begin to build patience. Why? Because we're consciously acting on saying, I'm going to move beyond that. And we're doing it over and over and over again. Just as we read from 1 John earlier, God does with us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. He moves on beyond those. Second, Paul says to put on love. And he expresses love as almost an overcoat here. Okay, he says, above all. He says, on top of everything else, put on love. It's it's the primary expression. It's what everyone should see. And we need to remember that love is an action. It's a verb. It's not a noun in Scripture. It's a verb. It's calling us. It's telling us to step out. It's it's an understanding that we are called to be different. Henry Nouwen put it this way. He says, often we speak about love as if it is a feeling. But if we wait for a feeling of love before loving, we may never learn to love well. The feeling of love is beautiful and life-giving, but our loving cannot be based in that feeling. To love is to think, to speak, and to act according to the spiritual knowledge that we are infinitely loved by God and called to make that love visible in this world. Mostly we know that the loving thing to do Mostly we know what the loving thing to do is. And when we do love, even if others are not able to respond with love, we will discover that our feelings often catch up with our acts. In other words, we were moved by activity first, not by the feeling of wanting to do it. And what we discover is that as we step out in that action, quite often, the feeling will follow. It'll come along. We'll discover how to love people. We'll discover how to, to express those things 
appropriately. Not just in terms of the action, but in terms of the attitude. So forgiveness, love, and then finally spiritual, spiritual life, spirituality. Let the message about Christ in all its fullness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Our worship, our Bible study, our spiritual dis disciplines feed into our capacity to practice patience, to express gentleness, to live in kindness and humility and compassion. Your spiritual life should feed that. That's why we come here, to, to find encouragement, to find direction, to find purpose. We come here to, to hear the gospel message that Jesus Christ has saved us. Even while we were yet sinners and in rebellion against Christ, He died for us. Even while we were extremely toxic, Jesus came and dwelt and lived and died on our behalf. But that's what we're called to. And, and to have that mindset, to, to, to be at home in the gospel story, and to let the gospel story be at home in you, to, to live in that sphere, to live in that mindset, as A.O. Williams put it, is, is to begin to, to, to practice, to experience, to express all of these realities. We've heard the phrase, some of you have, I'm sure have heard it several times, that person's so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I don't believe that's possible. Because to truly be heavenly minded, to truly be driven by the Spirit, and truly be about the things of God, is to be incredibly engaged and, and involved and expressive of healthy realities in dealing with this world. And so there it is. Paul has given us this this manifest this expression of, of how to live, of, of what how to dress ourselves, of the attitudes that should define us and should characterize us. And if we're living and we're walking in that, then I believe we will have, we will develop the spiritual discernment to be able to deal with people, to, to be able to say, even if it's just for a time, right now, I, you can't be part of my life. I just can't walk alongside you. I just can't allow what you're doing and how you're living and how you're expressing to infect who I am. I love you, and I'm going to pray for you. And if you need, truly, truly need some help, I'm here for you still. But I just can't have you as part a regular part of my life. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. There is a point at which that is reached, but that point is reached only when these other things are in place. We can't make that our default go-to. I just can't have you as part of my life. We can't make that our, our, our first perspective. Our first perspective must be love, must be forgiveness, must be um, compassion and kindness and all these other That must be our first disposition toward others. And then as we see what's going on and as we see God at work or we see them resisting God's work or we see them not responding to what God is doing and, and who they need to be and, and a healthy expression of the relationship, then we move to that mindset, to that step, to that activity of saying, I have to avoid you as Paul has instructed me. 
It's a balance. It's a journey. It's an expression of both wisdom and love, an expression that we'll only find the right balance of as we submit to the Holy Spirit and listen to God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I do thank you for your Word. Lord, I, I pray for wisdom. I pray for love and compassion for each of us as we deal with, with individuals that are sometimes harmful to our mindsets and to our perspectives. God, I, I pray that you would help us to, to listen first to you, to your word, to your direction. Help us, Lord, just to, to be the people that you've called us to be. We love you. We surrender to you. In Christ's name I pray.